Thank you for listening to We Have Ways of Making You Talk. Sign up to our Patreon to receive bonus content, live streams and our weekly newsletter with money off books and museum visits as well. Plus early access to all live show tickets. That's patreon.com slash we have ways. Hello, this is James Holland on the Second World War podcast, We Have Ways of Making You Talk. Now, last week we had one of our podcast specials where we did part one of my conversation with General Stuart Watson. And we brought you up to the eve of D-Day. Well, this is part two. And uh, you'll see Stuart landing on D-Day on Sword Beach and going all the way through to the bridge at Nijmegen, part of Operation Market Garden. I hope you find it as interesting as I did. So you land on Sword Beach on D-Day. Yeah. Um, and presumably it's the big reveal is when you're, as you say, in the LCT. Well, we, we were actually told in Gosport that when you got onto your LCT, there was a, there was a Hessian bag, right. a sack, which contained the maps and the air photographs. The real maps, not the bogus Not ones. ones with Poland written on. No, it said corn. Um and it said you you're not to open this until you sail. The second, our second in command said, "Well, I'd, you know, I'm going to open it anyway. Too bad. It'll be all right." Yeah. You're on. You're and on the course, LCT then, now. Then of course they delayed the thing by twenty four hours. Right. By which time we'd read it. I mean, we looked at the map. So you have to stay. So you stayed on the LCT. Yes. Well, they couldn't. They couldn't postpone it again. No. So we stayed there. We had an extra night there, as it were. And we lit, we embarked on the fourth and sailed on the fifth. God, that must have seemed interminable, didn't it? It just was rather a long time waiting yeah. for that. Yeah. And so presumably, what did you sort of hover around in the Solent for a bit? No, no, we just sat in Gosport. Right. I don't think... But on the LCT? On the LCT, which yeah. was full of vehicles, including us. I mean, it was, back, it was all kinds. And the and the uh, DDs was in, in separate LCTs, obviously. It was just right. them, nobody right. else. Had no other vehicles. And we crossed over. It was quite rough. Um, Feelings of nerves and apprehension, or yes, I think so. People, quite a lot of people, seasick. Anyway, we, we set off, and the, the next excitement, if that's the right word, was somebody deciding whether or not the DDs would swim. Right. And that was the brigadier's decision. I think he. Got what? Because he could have vetoed it and just said, "Right, I'm not letting you go out. You, it's too well, rough. You're just going to land." Yes, uh, he could have said it's too. Yes. We swam five. Well, I say we. The DD squadron swam five thousand yards. That's quite a big distance. It's quite a long it? way. So no, what was it for seventeen hundred yards? Is a mile. So that's yeah. two and a half miles or so. Yes, um, that's about and, three miles. And of that, we had 40, 40 tanks, forty DDs, twenty in each squadron, A and B. Seven didn't launch because they got jammed. The leading tank got jammed on the front of the LCT. Whoops. And there's nothing anybody could do about that. So that had to drive in and land right. down the ramp over the beach. So that was 33 that got into the water and 31 got to the beach. And there, and there many of them were swamped. Once they got <laughs> the to the... tide coming in. Yeah. Because they couldn't go off. They, I mean, the beach was... Because the beach was too narrow, wasn't well, it? Well, the beach was full of vehicles, but mainly the engines wouldn't start. 
they, 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 they had to go on to the auxiliary generator because people thought they was going to run, they'd run out of petrol. Mm. Actually, they didn't matter the petrol. But they sat on the beach sh shooting, as, as required, so to speak, with the screen dipped. And when they came to start, the Chrysler engines were, you know, wet. <laughs> because there was water in the engine compartment. It was yeah. bound to be however well sealed. Yeah. Um, and it's very dry. And so I think 14 got off the beach. I think, I think I'm right in saying people dispute this figure, but I think it was 19 got swamped. Right. But presumably recoverable. No. Because he said the tide came in, you see. The tide, so they're just sunk and that's that. So that was it. Yeah. They were replaced by the evening. I mean, of course, I mean, that's yeah. a, that's <laughs> one of the reasons why the Allies won. Yeah. That ability to replenish yeah. the front yeah. line is yeah. absolutely astonishing. And, and to think that they were replenished by evening on D-Day is yeah. quite extraordinary, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. But do, do you think the whole DD, the swimming bit, was unnecessary? I mean, do you think... I mean, what would have happened if they just, if they just brought the LCTs closer and landed them. Was there, was there a lack of space or could they have just got off, do you think? The official view was that it was worthwhile. I think it probably was, actually. I mean, you have to ask the Germans. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I imagine seeing tanks and things coming out of the sea, although they were slightly late. They were meant to come out first. They didn't come out first. Um, was must have been a bit of a shock. Yeah, definitely. So and then they used them again, of course, over the over the Rhine. Yeah, yes, they did in a smallish way. And they used they, they, they had Lake them Camacho in the, as well. They had they, them yeah. in the Far East. They also had them in um, in Northern Italy. Yes, did they use them? Yeah, they did. Yeah, they did. Yeah, mm. ours, ours swam much further than anybody else. I mean, nobody else swam more than a thousand meters. No, it's absolutely. But that amazing. was because of the weather. Right. Being on the, on the eastern end of the beach um, was much more sheltered. Right. So it was possible to swim 5,000 yards. Yeah, yeah. There was some doubt about it, I think. I mean, I think people just wondered a bit if it was the right thing. Anyway, that was what you decided. So you landed, presumably not in a Sherman, if you no. had the signals. No, I, I landed. Not a car. No, I landed in a tank, in an RHQ tank. Right. An ordinary Sherman. An ordinary Sherman. An ordinary Sherman. Okay. Um, RHQ had four tanks. One had a wooden gun because the intelligence officer wanted somewhere for his map. So were you regiment HQ with signals or were you, or were you squadron HQ? Regiment. 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 Yeah. Yep. Um, so can you remember what sort of time you hit the beach? We went to land at about quarter past eight. I think that's right. And we were about three quarters of an hour late. Right. Um, Partly because of the weather, and partly because of not getting off the beach. Right. Was it? Was there still quite a lot of firing going on while you when you landed? A certain amount. Yeah. But not a great deal on our beach because the, the, there were two gun emplacements which was quite had been established quite recently. I think they didn't have guns in them. Right. On the two flanks, and this was partly because of the argument between Rundstedt and Rommel about how to fight the battle. Yeah. And Rundstedt said, "You you never stop them landing." So you've got to have a reserve of panzer divisions and one another and drive them back. And Rommel's view was that you must have stopped them landing, mm. which was impossible as it turned out. And he wasn't there, of course. No, no he was in he was Erlingen at his family home at the time. <laughs> and then yeah. supposed to be heading off to the Berghof, but yeah. 
It's amazing in the war how often senior commanders are away yes. at crucial moments. I mean, Operation Diadem, the Battle for Rome, half the commanders are away when that was launched on well, the 11th of May, 44. Yes. Um, well, of course, Rommel was they away are, before they are Battle of The Ardennes people yeah. were away. Yes, absolutely extraordinary. I mean, our, our commanding officer, second in command, and adjutant were all away. Really? Then. I was acting adjutant, and those here quarter squadron was acting here. Amazing. For the first 24 hours. Well, then they came back. So Rommel's not alone in so he's not being absent as the gun start firing. Uh, but anyway, so you managed to get off the beach, okay? So we got off the beach, and um, by then, the two leading, all three squadrons had got, on to, got in and were beginning to fight that. Battle of Hillman and, and uh, so you're 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 pushing forward towards Hillman, I so we're going forward, we're sort of following up the squadrons, Hillman, whatever the other one, two were called Morris. Morris. It was Morris. Morris fell quite quickly because I think it was mainly full of Ospitalians, you know, these sort of Eastern yeah, yeah. Europeans who yes. didn't really want to be there, and they turned most of the bunker into a, a hooch factory. <laughs> So I think, so I think when 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 you guys turned up and they were very happy to you hand to hold, <laughs> and how would you like some yes. homemade yeah. um, South Calvados? Yeah, we were a little sort of East European. They turned out the Calvados. Absolutely terrible. It'd just been made. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so Morris went pretty quickly, but Hillman, of course, Hillman. was the real tough nut, and it was, I think, it was very much the misfortune of those heading towards Caen, that they just happened to stumble across literally the best-sighted, best-prepared, best-built yes, defensive strong point in the whole of the Normandy front. C Squadron, who was supporting the Suffolks. That's right. They had the worst time. Yeah. The Suffolks had a lot of casualties. They did. And the divisional commander was wounded, wasn't he? I think he was, yeah. Rennie. That's right, yeah. Um, Tom Rennie. Is it Tom Rennie? He came back. He, went, he, he was in the lead at home, but he came back later and, right. and I think took over the Highland Division because they put a Lowlander into the Highland Division, which was a grave mistake, Jack Bullin, Bullin Smith. That's right. Who was actually, A, not much good, and B, a Lowlander. Yeah. <laughs> and that didn't do well. The Highland, Division, the Highland Division went a rare muddle. Yeah. And they sacked the uh, Brigadier and the Downing Commander in, in Normandy, just like that. Mm. Yeah, they'd started to kind of the Highland divisions. The the, the sort of the they sides were, were already there in Sicily, actually. Uh, well, that they, they'd just been slightly overused. Because don't forget, they were they, they came re, up for they resorted. The, the divisions of Monte brought from the Middle East were exhausted. Yeah, and out of their element. Yeah, I mean the idea of a bocage compared with the desert was just ridiculous. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and the Highland, I mean the Highland division recovered. The Northumbrian division, of course, had broken up. Fifty. Because um, they couldn't reinforce it, but the Highland Division then got a got a Highland, it got Rene, I think. Yes, I think a lot of the 50th Division guys ended up in the Wessex Division. Yes, and uh, which we were with under most Von Thomas. <laughs> we were with it most of the time. General Thomas Butcher is his name, wasn't he? Yes, he was. He was a bad man in many ways. He became QMG after the war. Yeah, apparently he's a man with absolutely no sense of humour whatsoever. I think that's right. The most humorless. General ever to it's a gunner though, don't quote me. <laughs> it's too late. You're you're recorded. <laughs> so, anyway, so you managed so, to get so, in land so, a little bit. So you but you're not involved in the Hillman fight personally. No, no. We were we were just sort of waiting. we got through the minefield. Well we thought we'd got through the minefield, but they didn't open enough gaps. That was the sappers couldn't open the number of gaps they'd planned on. Mm. So there was that was a cause of delay right. on the beach. And we got we were mine the tank that I was in was actually went up on a mine. 
going through one of the minefields. While you were in it? Yes, all it did was blow the track off. So no one was injured? No, not in that instant. And we all got out. Another set in command. Many of us had never been in the war before, you see. Yeah. And the set in command had been in the Middle East. And he, and he said, for God's sake, get back into the tank. You know, don't just stand there. Big shelled and that sort of thing. Nobody sort of appreciated quite what, what the form was. It, it wasn't a, people had, I think the sort of fighting troops were pretty frightening, but as far as we were concerned, it wasn't terribly frightening. Wasn't it? It was very interesting. <laughs> and it okay. was, and also, um, the, as I think I mentioned the other day, um, the training had been so amazing that it all looked familiar. Right. Um, and the lie of the land was much the same as it had been in Scotland. For instance, the road from Elgin to Burghead, yep. which is a dead straight road, was on the right of, on the, on the left of where we practiced landing. Right. And it was always said to be in a, um, an uncrossable water obstacle, i.e. the Orn, the Con Canal. And, and, and the sort of high ground was in much the same places. It was absolutely extraordinary. That amazing? <laughs> yeah. So when you were there, you sort of thought, okay, I, I kind of, sort of know what I'm about. Well, all the, all, the, all the markers and things are familiar. You know. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. Except that you've got the enemy firing back at you. Yes, yeah, that's the difference. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But, of course, they got, I mean, the armored cars got in a long way. I mean, they got to call. Yeah. The ends of court were yeah, yeah. 10 miles in land. Yeah. But they couldn't, re they couldn't s support them, so they had to come back. So after the kind of you you, you don't get to you don't get to con on day one. What, what's your sort of over the next well, few we didn't, weeks? We what didn't are you actually doing? get con until no. August. No, night. They got it on the 9th of, yes. ju of July, I think oh, it was. Well, no, the first the first battle for con was the 9th of July. It's my birthday. Ah, and we were with the Staffordshire, the Midland Division, seventy nine, fifty nine. Right. Um, but they didn't get the objectives. They got to the edge of con, I think. So I remember it was quite a fierce battle. So you were actually cleared by the Canadians at the beginning of August, right? So you, were you involved in Goodwood and things like that? Yes, that was very interesting. I, I but was, not Epsom, presumably. Were you, no, no, you weren't Epsom, but you were Goodwood. Goodwood and Bluecoat, right? And Montpensier, yeah, um, which is our main battle honour. I was out there the other day. Really? Yeah. We had we we have a visit you about every five years. Right. Been the same to fifty year we mm. all went. Has the, has it changed much there? I mean, does does Montpensant still look familiar? The to mountain you? looks much the same. The rest of Normandy has been changed a lot, building and all that sort of thing, and right. all the destruction. Yeah, originally, but it, of course, it's a very lush part of the world and grows up. So how was Goodwood? I mean, what was... Well, Goodwood, we, we were on, on the left flank with 3 Dave, Right. Troar and that sort of way. Yep. But I, I was on, after the, after the war... I presume you were in an armoured car by this stage, are you? Or were you still in a Sherman? We were in tanks. Yes, we were in tanks all right up to the end of the war. Oh, right, okay. Yeah. We didn't get armoured cars until we got to Germany. And then I, I was always interested in Goodwood because we, I was on a thing called the Rhine Army Battlefield Tour team after the war. And we wrote up various battles, including Goodwood. You probably probably read our account. Yeah, I have. I've, I've got a copy of the Pink. <laughs> um, fascinating battle. But the intelligence wasn't very good. They didn't really, they didn't know. They didn't admit what's going on on the Bogabish Ridge.
I think there was also there was a there was a sort of difference between Monty made it out as a success as he always did, of course. Well, that's fair enough. <laughs> but but, but <laughs> I think Dempsey and O'Connor were very keen on suggesting that it might have had the big breakthrough. Eisenhower and Tedder jumped onto this. Monty felt that that was unlikely. Um, getting onto the ridge was probably the limit of it. Yes. Um, but didn't say that to Eisenhower or Tedder because he wanted the strategic air support. And he knew that anything less than a kind of major... It was rather the way he played Michael Gardner. Yeah, well, you know, <laughs> well, one can argue the toss over this, but, but, yeah. but I think that's what, what happened. I mean, the interesting thing about the tanks and the number of tanks that were lost is just how quickly they were back in action again. Yes. And I found that absolutely remarkable. They I mean, lost 130. Yeah. They? Well, they lost, they lost 493 suffered battle damage yeah. on that one day alone. But within 24 hours, I think about 225 were back in action. And within a further 24 hours, a further 68 were. And yeah. I think a total, total written off was about 120 or something, yeah, 115 something like or something yeah. like that. Yeah. But, but, you know, by this stage, there's three and a half thousand AFEs in yes. theatre, yeah. just in Second Army. Yeah. So, you know, that's a, probably a hit one yeah. would afford to take. Yeah. Did you did you have quite a, a tough time of it well, on we, your we, flank? We, we, I mean, we did nothing much happened for the first three days on on the, on the flank. So I remember the weather was appalling, it poured with rain, and mm. this the mosquito. It just moved rather slowly, right? Yeah, because of, you know the armor divisions having been stopped more or less. But did you did you have a? I mean, did you have a sort of? Was there a sense of, of, of frustration in, in Normandy? Can you remember that? Or was it just, this is how it is and actually we're pushing them back? And I mean, did you see, did you come across many knocked out German tanks or German prisoners? Yes, oh yes, yes. I mean, you felt you were making progress, did you? Yes, it was pretty slow. Yeah, but, but, but you, was, there, was everyone sort of bothered by that? Or was that just, this is just how it is? No, I think it was like, this is this is what we're doing on this bit of the front. Right. And you don't worry about what else, you particularly. Know, and, and, and people say that it's all coming around the right-hand side, and that sort of thing, which it was. I mean, yeah. the Americans were, were breaking through. And what about air support? I mean, were, were you conscious of rocket there firing lots typhoons of air, lots and of air support, bombers and stuff? Yeah, yeah. And I mean, that must have been a... And hardly any German outbreak. No. So that must have... That seen, seeing that seeing the air forces must have been a good Oh, yes. Boost. I mean, you'd, just, you'd call them in more or less whenever you wanted them. Really? Yes. And, yes. And, and, and presumably, as signals officer, you're are you doing the calling in? No. You're talking no, to a you no. talking to a sort of forward. No, mainly called in by the FOOs and people like that. Yeah. But I mean, so your job is to just make sure that that within the regiment, everyone's speaking to each communications other. Communications worked, and that we could get through and exchange necessary information. Right. I mean, the nineteen set was was fine. Compared with what it was before, which I think was called an eleven set, I can't yeah. remember, right? which was a hopeless bit of kit. But then the nineteen was regarded as you know quite, good. quite good, but it didn't work at night. Not much. It was very good in the day. I mean, you could get quite long distances. Why didn't it work at night? Because radio was not good at night. There was a terrible interference. Right. We had to use Morse sometimes. Goodness. Not very often, but we did. People said, "Why are you learning Morse?" I mean, I, when I went on my civil officers course, we all learned Morse. I can do, I can tell you the Morse and alphabet now. Operating the rear link at night, trying to get brigade headquarters and that sort of thing. I mean, it was quite hard work. Yeah, and you had and you had to be 
You had to learn how to do it. You had to learn how to listen to Morse right. through all the interference. Because once it got dark, and there was fearful interference. Yeah. Um, That's amazing. I'm, I'm really appreciated that. So you survived Goodwood, and then, then it's down to Bluecoat. Then, well, then we went, we went over to... Um, oh, for those who don't the, know, the Bluecoat other, is the kind other of side moving on after, after the first bit. Right. After the, we supported the airborne. Yeah. Then we went over to... Um, it, for for Bluecoat, it was much Blue further was, west. Yes, Bluecoat was August. Yeah, it's the very end of July, beginning of August. Beginning of August. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's right. I mean, Montpensier was, Mont the, was the seventh. That's right. Um, by this stage, you're sort of sensing that the campaign is, you know, that Normandy's nearly won. Is there a feeling about well, it, it? Yes, it was, it was moving. After, after Bluecoat, it began to sort of give away. Really. Yeah. Bluecoat was quite hard fought. Yeah, I know Mont, it was. Montpensier yeah. was quite difficult. Yeah. Um, was it one of those little ones? I was actually in a tank in Montpensier as it happened. Right. I think we fired the gun, which was quite unusual in regimental headquarters. I mean, it is quite a sight seeing large numbers of vehicles all together. I mean, you, you you can see how the enemy might target you, even with the best camouflage. Oh, yes. You know, you're yes. a big old beast, yes. lot of noise. Yes. You know, and the moment it gets dry, up, up comes the dust. I mean... Yeah. Of course, the main trouble with it in Normandy was the vocage. Yeah. I mean, oh, particularly down where you very, are in Montpensier, it's very slow. Yeah, and you had to really spray the next hedgerow hedge with machine gun fire. Yeah, before we went on, it was very slow. That was that was why the Middle East divisions were out of the. I Do you think, think so? They just they were just used to not. Well, they weren't them, used to having hedgerows. I mean, Seventh Armoured and Fifty and Fifty One, the three that had come from the desert, took some time to acclimatise. Seventh Armoured got a new divisional commander, I think. In fact, I know they did. Um, I can't remember his name. One was called Erskine. Yes, that's right. And the other one was called Verney, I think. That's right. Yeah. Um, and, and they they pulled, they they were fine, eventually. I mean, they yeah. just as good as anybody else. But it yeah. took them time. Well, that's understandable. I mean, you know, but also from from beginning of June to kind of beginning of August, it's only two months. I mean, that's not, that's <laughs> yes. not that long, really. In the scheme of things, of a six-year no. war. Yeah, no. <laughs> you know, I mean, no, I think I think I think people are always a bit harsh on the British Army and ha their inability to learn. I think they learn pretty quickly. Really. Yes, okay, yeah. So, uh, do you, and do you remember the kind of sort of the carnage of of the retreating German armies when they finally when the you know, they finally well, you saw it, of course, in the Falaise Gap. Did you? You, yeah. you got down there? We went through the Falaise Gap. I mean, that must have been horrific. It was. I mean, they were... were you shocked by that, by what you saw? Yes. I mean, and of course, the, the other thing was the number of horses which were killed. I mean, the Germans had hundreds of horses. Yeah. A lot of their logistics were horse-drawn because mm. they thought they were running out of petrol, which they were. They actually had a million more horses in the Second World War than they did in the First. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. One one and a half million horses in World War One, two and a half million horses. I mean, two and a half million horses. I mean, that is a lot of horses yeah. in the Second World War. It's absolutely extraordinary. It was, it was, I mean, Falaise was, was shocking yeah. and a frightful smell. Yeah, I can imagine. Yeah, dead horses all over the place. Yeah, horrible. And then suddenly it's the breakout and, and the, then, and and the then, surge. Yes, well, then, then of course, the next thing was the Seine crossing. Right. Um, we crossed the panel and we were leading Brigadier Ed Thalmond, Papa, was in charge of the sort of leading bit. 
and we got stuck. We got over the river all right and went on a bit. Then we, then we got stuck. How did you get over with Bailey Bridge? Yes, and uh, it was all rather dramatic because <laughs> it was the only time that Errol had been in charge of something because be, as the armoured brigade commander and the regiments farmed out to the infantry brigades in the infantry division, he was really just advising the divisional commander, Von Toma, as it happened most of the time. I should I should add that von Thoma was the uh, was one of the was the German commander captured at Alamein. So General Thomas was, um, was always nicknamed von, von Thoma. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, so we got on quite well, but the Germans, although the advance was pretty quick, considering. Yeah. Every now and then we got stuck because the Germans were very good at just blocking, blocking, and they fought very hard. Um, but in the end, they were more or less swept away. Mm. Um, but when we, when we got stuck somewhere, I suppose, I don't know, 30, 40 miles beyond the Seine, I suppose, everybody was very upset, particularly because they passed the Guards Arbor Division through us. Right. <laughs> sure that's a personal The Guards slight. Arbor Division had always been earmarked to capture Brussels. <laughs> so it was said, I think it was right, actually. And they, 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 they took Brussels. Right. And we followed up. And Eleventh Armoured went to Antwerp. Right. It was extraordinary just driving through France, really. And it what just, was the and what was the response from everyone? I mean, were, were you were you seeing signs of retreating Germans, or, or they just disappeared completely? Well, there was, a, there was an occasional resistance, right? But they'd really more or less gone. And of course, the, the um, civilian population were very enthusiastic. Right. I mean, that must have been quite gratifying, wasn't it? Yes. So I was wondering the other day, I, I told you that I'd, I'd been involved in this sort of rerun of 30 Corps. I mean, yeah, yeah. 400 vehicles, not 20,000, but, yeah. but even so. Yes. I was wondering, you know, as you're hurtling along the road, there's a whole load of, yes. you're in a column. Yes. There doesn't seem to be any opposition whatsoever. Do you think that you're in danger of getting a little bit blasé? Or, or are you always on edge for danger? You know, are you always on alert that round the next corner there might be a German gun I think people were more or less on the alert actually because every now and then they did pop up and fire right and so them. everyone was always yes. you were hurtling yes. forward yes. but you were kind of well there was one place where we were, where we were stopped and, and the um, a message came back to our HQ that B squadron was stuck somewhere and the commanding officer said well I'll, I'll go and see what's happening yeah and he went up and it was very interesting he got completely involved in the battle and he was, produced another squadron to go around the flank. Right. And didn't go far enough out. I mean, he, he just, he was, he was too much involved in what was actually happening. So it took a bit of time to sort it out. Yeah. And can you remember the kind of the, the 30 Corps race towards race oh, north? Oh, yes. I mean, you knew this was Operation Market Garden. Yes, you knew, yes. were, you, were you briefed about what the end goal was? Yes. This is our chance to get across the Rhine and burst into yes, Normandy. Yes, we knew what we were doing, yeah. The target was on him, yeah. And was Horrocks, did Horrocks brief you personally on that? Do you remember him turning up? He, came, he used to come around pretty often. Did he? He, to go, he came from Gate headquarters and that sort of thing, where we mostly were. Right. Um, and after, after the market garden, he came and, and briefed everybody. Right. Got a couple of regiments, you know. And you liked him, didn't you? Oh, yes. He was a man. Charismatic? Been, yes. So you felt you were in sort of safe hands with him, did you? Yes. And on Market Garden, you got as far as Nijmegen, is that right? 
we got onto the island in the end. Yes, we got to the other side of the river. Um, on Nymagen, so you got yeah, across the Val. Yeah, yeah. And that's where you were working with the Americans? Yes. And what was your experiences of suddenly working tandem with your coalition partners? They were good. The airborne divisions were mm. very good. They took the whole thing very seriously. Well, what, you knew, but, but British didn't. <laughs> well, no, I mean, they just played it in a different way. You know, the divisional commander had a tin hat and all that sort of thing. <laughs> no British divisional commander would wear a tin hat. Right. And we had, they opened an officer's club in Nijmegen. Right. We, we opened an officer's club. I mean, the, the, the I mean was that absolutely that, standard? That, that, the moment you get to a town, you open no, a club? Not quite, but I mean, the, within days of getting there, right. long before the Arnhem bit came on. The Americans couldn't believe it. Really? <laughs> it, was, it was in range of guns. Okay. <laughs> but you're all quite sort of laissez-faire about all this. Yes, rather. Mm. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, there is a sort of, there is a, um, there is a kind of, you, you get the impression there is a sort of insouciance about British armoured soldiers. Do you think the armoured troops, do you think that, that's fair? It was an act, really. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> I mean, mustn't be too professional. Right. Okay, that's really interesting. But it's, actually, it's you like, were quite like professional the, by then, weren't Frank, you? Yes, oh yes, yes we were. Frankie Festing, later on when he was the RGS, he said, in the green jacket, of course, so it's a different approach. Um, he said, we must preserve our amateur status. <laughs> <laughs> but at the same I mean, time, was, you're but not... he was a serious soldier. But you're not amateur at all. No, exactly. No, it's a, a sort of... It is an act. Yeah. It's the difference between the green jacket and the guards. Right. I see. The guards are professional and look it. The green jackets and cavalry, to some extent, are professional, but don't always look it. Right. And actually, that comes <laughs> from the top, doesn't it? With, with yes, Monty and his yes, corduroys yes. and his jumper. Oh, yeah, and yeah. Horrocks was a bit the same, wasn't yes, he? Yes, yeah. You know, they didn't look all spick no. and span by that no. stage. Well, no, Horrocks always looked spick and span. He looked spick and span? Oh, he always wore his hat and everything. Flag on the front of the Jeep and everything. Right, okay. Okay. That was part of the act. Okay. <laughs> and can you? Re I mean, can you remember that drive forward? I mean, oh, yeah. can you thinking? Gosh, you know, we're we're going at a good speed here. Yes, and we were getting held up, of course. Yeah, of course. The LFC was cut twice. Right. And, and Horrocks came and when he came and told, talked to us afterwards, he said, um, "You know, I was sitting in my caravan, wondering what to do, because the LFC was blocked." And he was knock on the door, and I went and opened it and. Who, was, who should be there but General Thomas and Brigadier Prabhupada, and I knew it would be all right. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. Yeah. The whole idea was to try and do the whole of your war in 40 minutes, yes. um, and we've been talking for an hour and 10, yes. and we've only got to Nijmegen. <laughs> yeah. Um, and the officers club there, um, so, <laughs> so we still got a little bit of war to go. So, if you're happy to do that, let's yeah. let's do this at another time. Well, that's all we've got time for this week. But uh, you may have noticed that Stuart's war is far from over. In actual fact, he's got to go all the way through the winter battles of 1944 and 1945 and right up to the end of the Second World War in northern Germany in May 1945. So we have promised ourselves another conversation and that will be coming very soon. As soon as we know when it is, we'll be sure to let you know. Put it out there. Thanks for listening. <laughs> <laughs>